Welcome to another hour of Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your host, Robert, so let's grab the handshaker and shift some gears. Okay, that song was called Big Wednesday by the Ripcords, and uh, I have to apologize for the uh, recording because sometimes they come out good, sometimes they don't. But anyway, that song was recorded in about 1963. Tonight, I would like to take the opportunity to open the show about, um, it's kind of like a public service announcement. I want to talk about uh, local businesses and local people of interest. And the first thing I'd like to talk about is I'd like to encourage as many people as I can, as that I can reach, you know, via the uh, radio here, to try to do business locally as much as you can. So rather than jump on the Internet and buy everything you need to buy off the Internet, uh, let your fingers do the walking. Walk through the yellow pages and uh, drive around. Visit some of the stores and shops. Walk through the front door. There's a lot of businesses in our community that uh, offer a lot of products and services, and they need the business too. So, you know, kind of reciprocate with these guys. You know, they have... uh, they, they've got needs. Um, they've got products that you need. You've got products that they need. Develop a rapport with these people, and let's just keep it in a circle, and then that way everybody can benefit from it. So, you know, you give somebody a good deal, they'll give you a good deal back. And uh, there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of retail in this area. There's a lot of manufacturing in this area. There's a lot of service-oriented businesses. And, uh, you know, let's get to know some of them. Second thing I'd like to talk about is people of interest. There's a lot of people in this area that have a tremendous amount of talent in our community as well. Many of them have been around for a long time. I mean, they've been around since the 60s and 70s and stuff like that. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to reach out to a lot of those guys that were in the performance automotive industry, cycles, boats, and uh, try to find those guys, bring a little recognition to them, and then hopefully get some of them on the show. Um, these guys often have a wealth of information. They're full of history because in many cases they were there firsthand and experience all this stuff. And, and as everybody knows, there's no substitute for experience, as in the case with our first guest. But before I bring him on, I want to play another song. And uh, Lee, how are we doing there? We got this one queued up? Super.
Okay, uh, the name of that song was Stick Shift by a group called The Duels. And, of course, back in the 60s, they had a lot of garage bands in California, and they'd all get together, and, you know, the drummer from one group would play with the, the next band down the street, and vice versa, the bass player and the guitar player, and everybody kind of switched back and forth. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of the songs maybe sound familiar to you. Uh, the reason for that song is because our very special guest tonight, Mr. Gary King, uh, used to drag race back in the day, and he was a four-speed guy. And me being a four-speed guy, um, I thought that that song would be very fitting. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, Gary King to our show. Thanks, thanks Robert. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here, especially, and you didn't know this, but it's the eve of my birthday. So Is it? there's no place I'd rather be than uh, discussing some of the old times and drag racing and boat racing on your show. So it's great to be here. Well, happy birthday. Am I allowed uh, to ask you. how young you are? Or? Well, let's see. Uh, I just went on Medicare, so if that tells you anything. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> So tell us a little bit about your uh, your uh, your background in, in, in racing, obviously. I mean, uh, I'd like to, I'm sure our listeners would love to know that. And you're a local guy, too. You're here from here, St. Pete, right? Yeah, I my parents moved here in 1954. Uh, my first uh, my first endeavor into uh, motorsports was a Cushman Eagle um, that I uh, modified, seriously modified, and I went from that to... Uh, Triumph. I had a Triumph drag race bike, actually, that I raced at uh, Sunshine Speedway back in the, well, back in the late 50s. Um, now you were a youngster then. Yeah, I was, and I still am now, which is great. Yeah. Uh, Age is a state of mind. Uh, absolutely a state of mind. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm as active now as I was back then. Um, so, yeah, I started out at Sunshine, Sunshine Drag Strip and with motorcycles and and went from there to a 55 ford with a big block ford in it um went from that to a 61 falcon with a fuel injected 289 uh engine setback straight axle car um had a lot of fun i mean drag racing was a was an obsession um i mean i i slept drag racing i ate drag racing i you know was was definitely the epitome of a gearhead for sure i see you brought some pictures um i wish i could show these to everybody but uh, i'm i'm fortunate enough to take a look at them myself and i'll tell you what uh, just for you listeners out there this is one wicked looking car the name of the car is gone wild so the term gone wild was used back in the 60s too guys and uh, this is a nice little small block in it. It looks like it's got fender well headers. Of course, there's no fender wells in this car because it's a tube chassis, or it's a straight axle car. It's got, is that Hillburn injection on there? Hillburn, yeah. Yeah, Magneto. Yeah. yeah, it looks like you got, uh, well, the dash looks fairly original. Um, you got a modified stern column in there, right? You just went to a right. straight shaft. Yep. And uh, how is that thing on, on, on uh, how'd that thing handle? Well, it wasn't the greatest handling car out there. Um, it was a chore to drive it for sure. Uh, when I built it, I had a, uh, a performance automatic transmission in it. That didn't work. I fried it the first time at the drag strip, so I took it out and put a four-speed in it. There you go. Um, but it, it, lo- it left a lot to be desired as far as a handling car, definitely. And, that, and I was no professional at building that car back when I did it either. So you did all the fabrication and building on that car yourself? Yeah, I did it all uh, myself and a friend of mine. Um, let's see. Charlie Blanchard. Charlie Blanchard helped me build that car. Is he still around? You know, I, ha- I have no idea. That was so long ago. He lived in Pinellas Park. He, um, he, was a, he, he knew a lot about welding. He did a lot of welding stuff for me. He was mm-hmm. a really good guy. I noticed on the side of the uh, driver's side fender, you've got Automotive Engineering as a sponsor. Yeah, Eddie Monroe, that's back when he f- he had his uh, first store in Largo, and uh, he helped me out a lot in um, the acquisition of parts. And he and I go way, way, way back, way back. All right, back tell us about that a little bit. You guys went to high school together, right? Um, I think he was... Um, I think he was a, one year after me, um, but as I remember, his parents owned a motel on Treasure Island, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, he was a re- really good man, really good guy. Um, yeah, I used to be in his store all the time. Oh, bet. Uh, that was like your home away from home, I suppose. Oh man, and um, I was paying his mortgage <coughs> payment and you know buying his buying his food and stuff. 
What other um, uh, some of the other guys that were around back in those days? That you guys did you when you were in high school? Did you guys have like a little click? I mean, what car did you have in high school that you street raced? I'm sure you street raced, right? I street raced a lot. Matter of fact, the song you played and the uh, the siren at the end. Yeah, I was real familiar with real that familiar siren with that part. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, when I was in high school, I had motorcycles. I didn't have cars until um, I think my. Now, I had bikes all the way through school till I got out of school. Um, and then I had a 49 Ford that I bought locally that was a that somebody had reworked the flathead in it. Um, it might have been a Woodhouse, John Woodhouse deal. I don't remember because it was oh, so our, long ago. Yeah, John's one of our listeners. You out there, John? Hi, John. Um, yeah, it was it Was, was, was that a when. pink car by any chance? It was red and white. Red and white? Okay. Because yeah, I know you said he had one called the Pink Pig or something like that. Um like I like I had told you earlier, I sure wish I had some of the cars back. I had a '37 Plymouth with a Cadillac in it. That was a local car. It was a very well-known car. It had it had 10-inch slicks on the back of it, and I actually traded it for my uh, for my Triumph motorcycle. Um, what type of bikes were they that you had? I mean, Triumphs. I, mean, I was what, a Triumph guy. Were they what, like 650ccs mostly? 500s and 650 hardtail. And those um, you used to drag race? Yeah, I made a drag bike out of it. What mm-hmm. kind of times did you turn with those bikes back in those days? Do you remember? In the 12s. 12s? Mm. That's pretty scary, though. You know, even 12s yeah, hanging was. on a set of handlebars. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, th- that was truly the good old days. Boy, I think about that a lot. And street racing, cruising through the drive-ins, the breezeway, um, chicks, um, <laughs> the barrel, um, all the old places, you know, spent a lot of time in them. Where did people uh, street race back in those days? Most of the street racing went on on the on the main roads, First Avenue. Um, you know, as it got later in years, people headed out to Howard Franklin and Gandhi. But at the beginning, I mean, we were doing it on First Avenue. How about um, uh, right in the downtown? Nineteen there in that area, right about nineteen and first up upper nineteen. That's I remember, and I can't think of this guy's name right now. He had a gold 63 409 Chevrolet, and I raced him going north on 19. And uh, the highway patrol, they had a, they had a, back then they had a highway patrol car with a, I don't remember whether it was a 413 or a 426, but it had the big cross ram manifold on it. The car was extremely fast, and that guy, and he was a, he he was a guy that always had that car, and he was always after the street race guys. And he caught me one night going north on, on nineteen, and I think I got a ticket for, one twenty four. One twenty four. Yeah. Now, how severe were they? Now, I'm not I'm not trying to encourage anybody out there to street race, but I will say from my own experiences, this was in the seventies, and we street raced anywhere, anytime at the drop of a rev. You spun around and and hammer down, and you were going through the gears. But street racing was a lot of fun back in the day. You could get away with it to a point. Um, but guys nowadays go to the track. You know, Wednesday nights, which happens to be tonight, for example, there's test and tune over at uh, Sunshine Speedway. It's an eighth mile. It's safe. It's controlled. It's a perfect environment to go out there and 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 play games and 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 do your street racing or not street racing, but just any kind of racing in a straight line. But do not, I encourage people, do not street race on the streets. Like, and we've got these stories, and uh, Gary's got some cooler stories, because back when he was doing it in the 50, late 50s, early 60s, uh, you could take more chances than you could today. Well, keep in mind, the population was nothing like it is now. And, um, I mean, I would never attempt to do anything like that now, never. Um, back then... Like I say, the population was far less, and it was late at night. And I mean, I can tell you, I, this this is this sounds ridiculous, but there was only one place in St. Petersburg that, like all the Seven Elevens and all the places that are open twenty four hours, there was only one place in the city that you could go and buy food after eleven o'clock at night. There was only one store open after eleven p.m. in St. Pete in the whole entire city. No kidding. Back back in the late fifties. Yeah, I think it was on 16th Street North and 30th Avenue, something like that. Hey, Lee, while we're talking about racing, what do you got queued up for us? Looks like the uh, Beach Boys with Shutdown. Yeah, go ahead and play that one for us real quick. Tack it up, tack it up, buddy, gonna shut you down. It happened on the street. 
Great song. Hey, Gary, I got another picture here in front of me real quick um, about your 63 Galaxy convertible. Tell, a, tell us a little story about that car. Um, well, back when I, I I started working the day I graduated from high school, the next day I went to work in a gas station on 66th Street and, and 38th Avenue North, a standard oil station. And so I was generating an income, so I heard about this car that was purchased at Walker Ford when Walker Ford was on Treasure Island. High-performance car that was purchased. I believe the man's name was Dennis McDonald bought this car. Uh, Burgundy 63.5 Ford convertible, 406 four-speed tri-power, you know, factory high-performance car. He didn't like it, gave it back to Walker. I bought it. Um, that was a very rare car back then, wasn't it? Oh, I wish I had that car now. That oh. was a just a great car. The car was... It was a fun car. It was an extremely fast car, and that's what I did, the street racing that I did, I did in that car. Um, yeah, it was a great car. I wish I had it back, and, of course, if I had it back, it'd be worth a lot of money right now. Um, you were mentioning earlier about you got involved in a little production company. Want to tell us about that? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I think about this. Uh, back in the 70s, I used to sit at home on Saturday afternoon and drag racing aired every Saturday, and it was produced by a company called Diamond P Sports. They were the sole producer of NHRA for television. Well, I used to sit at home on Saturday afternoon. I'd make it a practice to be home. I think the thing was on at 2 o'clock, and I'd sit, watch uh, the NHRA drag racing. It came from all the different meets around the country. And then at the end, for whatever the reason, I would watch the credits. The credits would roll. I have no idea why I would sit and watch these credits, but it would get to the last credit, and I was kind of in a trance watching the credits as because they, they rolled really slow, and it got to the last one, and the last credit was the executive producer, and his name was Harvey M. Palish. Well, I used to think about this Harvey M. Palish guy. I'm thinking, boy, this guy's probably got a huge office. He's got his feet up on the desk. He's got monitors all over the wall. He's watching all these cuts from all these different tracks. And every Saturday, I'd get to the end, and I'd watch the diamond and the P spin in his name, and I'd just kind of sit there and imagine who this guy was and, and that he had. He would just had the reign over everything. He could go to any track and do anything. Well... I did that for several years on Saturday. Okay, now I'll fast forward. This was in the early 70s. Now I'll fast forward to 1989. In 1972, I started my marine business that I still have to this day. Well, in 1989, I get a phone call from a friend of mine who a, owns a television production company. And he says, look, I know that you're not happy in the marine business anymore. I know you're looking for a change. Um, I got a deal for you. Come out here and talk to me. I go out, and this is in the corporate world, and, you know, after I've worked outdoors for years and years, and he goes on, and he, he, he offers me an amount of money and all these perks and things, and I said, look, i got to think about it. Well, I thought about it for six weeks. Finally, I said, okay, all right, I'll do it. He goes, okay, here's the deal. I want you to uh, meet me at, uh, it wasn't Bennigan's, it was behind Bennigan's on 4th Street. I can't remember what the restaurant. He goes, I want you to meet me there on Thursday at 12 o'clock, um, uh, have lunch. Uh, there's another guy I want to introduce you to. Uh, so I walk into the restaurant, 12 o'clock. I find him in the back sitting in a booth. He's sitting next to this guy. I sit down, and uh, my friend's name is uh, George Orgera. And he goes, uh, I'd like you to meet Harvey Palish. Your I'm, dream come true. I'm sitting across the table from Harvey Palish. And he said, uh, you'll be working w with Harvey Palish because you're going to be the general manager of Diamond P Sports. 
the very company that I would imagine all this going on. And now I was the one doing it. I was the one, you know, overseeing the production of all the videos that got sold and had, as I told you on the break there, I had the kind of pass that I could go to any NHRA track and stand right on the track between the top fuel cars when they launched or go anywhere on the track or in race Unlimited control. access. Yeah, unlimited access, basically. That's amazing. Yeah, I did that for a couple of years. And, you know, I look back at that. It's kind of a interesting how I would watch that on TV and just kind of fantasize about the whole thing. And then it happened. That's amazing. Yeah. I, so you know, did you get to go to, like, Daytona? And, oh, I mean, what other races did you – what other race venues did you participate in? I, I went to every national track, every national meet. I was at every single one of them. So drag racing uh, and NASCAR tracks? I didn't I, I didn't do any of the NASCAR because I was too busy doing the NHRA. But okay. we, all, we also had uh, motorcycles at the time, too. Um, and I went to Daytona for the bike races and was in race control in Daytona for the bike races. And we shot videos over there. Um, in terms of bike races, now you're talking motorcycles. Bike. Okay, but yeah. drag racing or the, on the actual track? Cause they no, just, on the track. On the track. Oh, yeah, at Daytona, the on the yeah, big oval. Daytona. Oh, really? Yeah, on the oval, yeah. Oh, yeah but that was, was exciting. It was a dream job. It's just that um, after a couple of years, I was really, I was so used to no four walls, you know. I was so used to being mm-hmm. being outside all the time. I couldn't really deal with an office with no windows. Wow. Hey, what do we got queued up next early? Looks like the four speeds with cheater slicks. All right, play that one. There's another oldie. I got a new black super stock, the mills of 426. Portion got six in front, low and back with cheater slicks. It's got a beefed up automatic, and it blows off the sticks. When I power break it up, I don't spin with my slicks. They're too big my keys and when it's wet they spin On a real dry highway they really start to digging in Now I never start to panic when I smell the butyl burn Cause my flicks are digging in and I really start to turn Turn on me Okay, we're back. Hey, uh, Gary, what other stories you got for us? Oh, let me. You mentioned earlier that you were in the marine business, which is really one of the reasons why I kind of got a hold of you because yeah. most people don't know. I was actually just a little uh, kind of a gearhead back in the day, and I wandered into uh, Gary's shop back in the uh, mid '70s. I was looking for some some big block Ford parts, and uh, Gary vaguely remembers me. Um, he might remember the car. The car's still around. But uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your uh, your uh, marine background. Well, I was working in a in a Standard Oil gas station on St. Petersburg Beach at the time in '69, and I had my Falcon drag race car. In the daytime, I was the mechanic there, and at night, I pumped gas to pick up some extra money. Well, I had that drag car on a trailer in front of the gas station. And a guy pulled in a green Cadillac to get gas, so I go out and pumping gas in his car, and he goes, "Is that your drag car?" Yeah. What's in it? 289 Ford. He goes, yeah, I got a race boat with a Ford in it. He goes, I'm from Chicago, just moved down here, got a marina down on Pasa Grill. Come down there sometime, check it out. So within a week or so, I cruised down to Pasa Grill, and he had purchased Pasa Grill high and dry, and I went in, and he's got a 20-foot 
Howard Marathon boat, Grand National boat at the time. GN was the designation. And GN at the time was was power boat racing sequel to NASCAR. It was 250-mile races. You had to pit. You had to fuel. You had to do all the things like in, in NASCAR. So I go down. I check the boat out. It's got a Ford 496 Ford Hemi in it, Boss Hemi. And um, by the way, for you listeners out there, the Boss 429 is the holy grail of Ford Motors. Okay, so that's the one that we all get on our knees and we worship this car. But uh, go ahead, Gary. So, you know, I, I go check the thing out. And at the time, Holman and Moody was, was he got his engines from Holman and Moody. And one thing leads to another. We became friends. And he asked me one time, he goes, you know how to work on these things? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Never seen one before, but I'll work on it. So I took his engine apart and did a valve job on it. And one thing led to another thing, and I went to work for him in the service department of the marina. And then I was the service manager, and then I was the marina manager. So in that period of time, that's when I made the transition away from drag cars. I got real interested in boats in a real short period of time. I sold the Falcon to somebody, and it went up to New York. And I started doing the mechanical work on his race boat. Then I started traveling around the country with him, um, David Stoller, and the race boat. So from that, I got into the marine industry, and I, I started with an old Donzi, an old 16-foot, very dangerous-to-drive Donzi. I ran my first boat race. He told me I could use the boat if I built an engine for it. And I got hooked. I mean, I got hooked bad. And, you know, within 18 months, I bought I bought a performance boat, and then I bought a race boat. And my first real race boat was an 18-foot flat bottom with a Boss 429 NASCAR Hemi in it, the NASCAR version. Um, which I still own the motor to this day. I kept the motor all this time. George Pills has got it right now. He's finishing up on it, and I'm going to find something to put it in, preferably a Econoline, an old Econoline pickup, and put it in the back okay. backwards. So if anybody out there has got an Econoline pickup for sale, be sure to email us here at Projects Gone Bad. That's plural, Projects Gone Bad, because Gary is looking for a Econoline pickup so he can put his Boss 429 in the back of it and turn it into a wheel stander. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I wanted to do this for 20 years, and uh, so um, that's my birthday present to myself. I'm going to make it happen this year one way or another. But first, got to find the car. Um, you know, you were mentioning earlier about local businesses, and I, I got all inspired. I, I had the Ford in the boat. Um, very successful. I won a lot of races with that Boss Motor in the boat. Well, then Ford got out of racing for a time period, and I switched to big block Chevrolets to Stroker 454s, 496s. And I have some of them left from back in the 70s, and they've been sitting around my shop for 20 years. And a month ago, I got all inspired. I dragged one out, and I'm putting it together. So I've been going and seeing Lee Montgomery at uh, Speed World. Lee's a real, real nice guy. He's got an amazing inventory. He's on uh, Haynes Road, 55th and Haynes Road. I was in, the, I was in there today buying some stuff because I want to get this stroker motor going in the next couple of days. He's a great guy if you need any performance parts. And just like Robert said, you know, you can find all this stuff online, but I tell you what, Lee's got it all right there in the store. You don't have to pay shipping, and you don't have to wait for it. He's got it in the store. I and, couldn't believe how much stuff he's got in that store. And there's there's no substitute for being able to walk into a shop and put your hands on it. No and then question. the other thing is, is if you have an issue, you just take it back. You've got recourse. Plus, you got a guy with knowledge there that can oh, answer yeah. all your questions. Yeah. And uh, you would be reading forever, but if you can sit there and spend 15, 20 minutes with the guy and grab yourself a Coke— and talk, and these guys will just relinquish a ton of information. Right, Gary? Yeah, he's been around a long time. He knows a lot of stuff, and he's well-connected. And like I said, he's he's got all the stuff there. I mean, I was really surprised when I walked in the store for the first time. And, I mean, I used to deal in Speed World when it was on US-19 many, many years ago. Um, but, you know, I haven't been building any race stuff in a long time, and I got real inspired with the Ford. The Ford had sat around for years and years. And I've been picking up parts and pieces um, it's not real easy to find boss parts. Um, I have a bunch of spares, but there's things I don't have, too. And, you know, frankly, these days, to put that engine in something and drive it around St. Petersburg, most people would have no clue what it was to look at it because it's got a very odd look to it. It's got cast aluminum valve covers, and they're huge. 
the intake ports in the motor back in the motor was a 19 late 69 70 motor and the 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 intake ports are almost as big as a coke can they're huge <laughs> interesting story um i used to go to the 24-hour races at daytona and uh Smoky Eunuch has a shop downtown, and back in the 70s and even up through the early 80s, um, a lot of times when we would go there over the weekend for the 24-hour race, we'd get bored, so we'd just go wander around town, you know, cruise up and down the alleys and stuff looking for, for treasures. He would be sitting there, or his, he used to drive a little white Fiesta, a little 78 Fiesta would sit out front, a little white car with red pinstripe, if I remember correctly. And uh, so if that car was sitting in front of his shop, he was usually there. And he did not. He he had no problems with anybody going in there. And if he was not busy, he'd sit there and talk. Well, on one occasion, I was in there and we were talking a little bit. And my buddy Don, he's a Chevrolet guy, and I'm the Ford guy. And uh, so Don's off in La La Land, you know, looking at the Chevy stuff. And I'm in there um, snooping around. And I come across some Boss Nine stuff. And I thought, hmm, okay, let me go check this out. And then I was walking down this one little alley uh, in there in the shop, and there was a bunch more Boss Nine stuff. So about this time, Smokey comes walking around the corner. He says, "Boy." What are you looking at? And I said, well, I'm just a Ford guy, and I just got a bunch of Boss 429 stuff. So we got to talking a little bit. And once he kind of sensed that I was, like, really into this stuff, he says, you like this stuff? I said, yeah. He says, here, come back here. So he took me in this little special room in the back. And when I walked in there, and I had no idea that I knew he was involved in, in, with Ford for, for a short period of time, like in the late 60s, early 70s, okay? But I did not know that he was involved with the Boss 429 engines. That's why I was so surprised. And in this back room is two shelves full of Boss 429 stuff, handmade uh, uh, metal intakes. But the thing that struck me most unusual, he had numerous sets of cast iron Boss 429 heads. I have never seen them. You never hear about them. And he was telling me a little story. He says, Robert, you know, since you're a Ford guy, and I don't want the Chevy people to know this, but when we used to, we used these in marine applications, which that's evidently what they used them for. He says, we would go out there and we would run up and down the intercoastal and we'd race these Boss 429 cast iron motors, uh, cast iron headed engines. The Chevys, the Mopars would scatter trying to keep up with us. But Ford pulled the plug in racing in 71, 72. And once they did that, that was the end of it. And hence, that's why you went to Chevrolet. Yeah, I would see when I, my. My boss motor was 429. It, what, it, it wasn't stroked or anything. It was original cubic inches, and it made as much power as the 496s that I were uh, Chevrolets that I used. And you know, you mentioned about the heads. Well, that was my downfall. Um, I have two sets, two sets of heads, and they're seriously eaten up from the salt water when I raced them. You know, I kept them. And um, George Pills, he re-engineered a set for me, George at Southern Style Racing Engines. I mean, he's a wizard when it comes to all that stuff. So, you know, we uh, we used JB Weld. JB Weld up the holes, and then mm-hmm. he remachined, remachined them to put the O-rings back in there. Um, but, yeah, that's a problem. If you run salt water in those boss motors no matter and i flushed it all the time every time it was in salt water doesn't matter it eats the the grade of aluminum they made the heads out of just gets seriously eaten up by the salt water does that hold true for marine engines because i know i used to have a uh, 38 cigarette years ago and i had a pair of uh, big block chevrolets in that and the intake was a aluminum intake but it was lined you know where they where the where the water runners are with brass, so it was a special intake, but they, they tell you, and I don't know if this is true, but they say that once an engine has been exposed to salt water, uh, it just somehow just gets into the block, and once it's in the block, it just, you know, it just like embeds itself and impregnates itself into the block, and that block is 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 a marine block for the rest of its life. So it's like you can't revive that block. You're best to replace it. And eventually what happens is that salt just eventually just eats away so that it just it eventually disintegrates. Yeah, what happened was uh, some of the major marine manufacturers like Mercruiser and PCM, they came to the conclusion that if they were going to pull more horsepower out of production engines, they were going to have to use some performance manifolds that were made of aluminum. So they had them custom made and they had bronze they had bronze liners okay. where the thermostat housing would go. There's a bronze liner in there, and that bronze liner travels all the way to the manifold surface. And then in the back where it's blocked off, there's a bronze slug in there as well mm-hmm. because otherwise it eats it all up. And, I mean, when I used to build a lot of performance motors for boats that just ran around, not race boats, but pleasure boats, guys would go to speed shops and buy aluminum intake manifolds and bolt them on a marine engine and, you know, 
three months later, the engine's full of salt water because the salt eats the manifold away. In two or three months, it disintegrates the manifold. Wow. So. Tell us a little bit about your drag boat racing experience as far as, uh, like, some of the local races you participated in and, and how far you traveled to, uh, uh, you know, go to some of those venues. Well, when I started in boat racing, when I worked for Dave Stoller, there were a lot of local races. There was a guy, Hal Elgin. Um, he used to run a lot of local races. There were some very popular, well-known races, the three-hour race around Vina Del Mar uh, called the Hurricane Classic. Um, there were races up in Clearwater Bay. There were a lot of local races, and that's how I started. Um, and they were highly competitive. People came from all over Florida to run in those races. And, of course, as as the waterways got more populated, the Coast Guard, it started to get much tougher to get permits to run those kind of things. I mean, I remember back in the 70s running under Vina Del Mar Bridge, um, in the nat- what they call the Narrows, um, running under Vina Del Mar Bridge at 125 miles an hour. Uh, How high is that bridge? Just to well, give that us- bridge is pretty high, but okay. I also ran underneath the original Cory Bridge, and the original Cory Bridge, I believe the clearance from from the deck uh, of the boat. middle tide to the top of the bridge was something like 10 feet or 11 feet. I also ran under that bridge at 120 miles an hour as well. I had a tunnel. I had a tunnel, what was called a KT boat back then. It was a tunnel boat, but it had a, a V8 Chevrolet and a stern drive in it, extremely fast, 135, 140 mile an hour boat well, in the you, 70s. Did you so. duck when you went under the bridge just out of well, instinct? <laughs> you know, as I, as I told you the other day when we were talking about this stuff, I I feel I I boat raced for 16 years and then I produced them for about 30 years produced races and um, I'm not sure how I stayed right side up for 16 years because I was doing a, a lot of stuff that wasn't based on knowledge in going that fast it wasn't based on knowledge and skill it was based on courage and um, ignoring a lot of factors but i stayed right side up for 16 years going extremely fast for back in the 70s extremely fast um you uh, uh what about lake mcgory now i know they had races down there tell us about those yeah lake mcgory i mean when i was young i used to go to the the southland regatta very very popular race the, that thing happened that was a benefit for all children's hospital put on by the exchange club the saint pete exchange club very popular. People came from all over the United States to race there. And I used to go down there and watch the races and was really fascinated. And then in the 70s, in the early 70s, we started a boat club. And our boat club would produce, and I would race direct, we produced a race six months apart. So the Southland Regatta, I believe, was in November. And then we produced, ours was in April or something like that. I can't remember, or October. We were in October. So there were then two races at Lake Megory. Um And those races consisted of 75% hydroplanes and 25% flat-bottom ski boats, SK class and super stock. Um, mile and two-thirds race course, five-mile race, three laps of a mile and two-thirds, and pull a tremendous amount of spectators down there. Dick Crippen was the announcer. And that was just, um, boy, a lot of people have tried to bring that races back there even nostalgia races there's some nostalgia races um antique race boat races mm-hmm. that go on in the state of florida and people have approached the city to go down there and do that but i understand that there's there's been a lot of stumbling blocks due to the environment um now they do have those uh they do have vintage boat races hydroplane races up at uh lake mcgore at uh, excuse me at mount dora that's mount usually dora. that's what i was trying yeah. to think of yeah and mount dora spring and they run those little they run the hydroplanes i mean some yeah. serious beautiful Beautiful boats. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, all those wood mahogany boats out of the 50s and stuff like that with the, back in the old days, the 392 hammies and stuff. And uh, and then they'll run those little uh, those little skiffs that they run, those little short little Jersey jobs. Jersey, Jersey skiffs. skiffs. Yeah, yeah, I raced one of those. One of the most popular boats, and w- those were called ENF service boats. Um, okay. Uh, was Dancing Bear. Kurt Brayer was was the owner, and the boat was called Dancing Bear. And it was just one of the most popular boats. I think he had a... Uh, I believe he had a Hemi in that boat. Um, and it was that was like a, was that one of those skiffs? I uh, it, w- it wasn't a Jersey. It was called a. An, it, there were two classes, E and F service, and okay. it was kind of a 
kind of a ski boat looking boat. Okay. It, it was a different kind of hull. It wasn't a hydroplane. Okay. Um, fast, um, kind of handled a little bit like a Jersey skiff. Yeah, because they're deep V, so they sit in the water quite a bit. Well, the, the jersey's got a round bottom, so the thing rock and rolls all over the place. They're, oh, really, set, they're really forgiving. It's almost very tough to turn one of those upside down. It, they yeah. look like a big lifeboat. I yeah, that, want, yeah. That's what it looks like, except it's a gutted lifeboat. Um, you brought another picture along. Tell us about that picture over there. That was uh, down in Miami? Well, one of the premier races in Miami, and it still exists, the Miami Marine Stadium. They don't use it anymore, but I have heard rumors that they're going to resurrect it. Back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, the premier Grand National races and the unlimited hydroplane races ran in the Miami Marine Stadium. The Miami Marine Stadium is on Key Biscayne, and it's an actual stadium. It's got huge concrete grandstands that you'd like you'd see at a football stadium. Um, It was built specifically for powerboat racing, specifically for Grand National Unlimiteds, and some outboard tunnel boat races. It, it was like an inlet off of the intercoastal waterway. And that was the premier place. That was the place to go. So that was Miami Marine Stadium was the Daytona of boat racing. That was the big deal. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And now you said that they, what, they actually just dug out that whole, like a, created a cove? Yeah, it, it was like an inlet, and I believe it was man-made. Um, they built the stadium there. And then what what they would do, they had this huge floating platform. And to make the place multifunctional, they had this gigantic, like, floating barge. And they would have, they would moor it away from the stands. And then they would have concerts there. And they'd pull it right in front of the stands on the water. And the bands would be on the, on the uh, barge. Oh, no kidding. For entertainment. For entertainment. So they had two courses there. They had a short course which ran right directly in front of the stadium. And then they had a two-and-a-half-mile course that actually went around a little island that was in the mouth of the inlet. So you went out around the island and came back into the stadium. But that was the premier place, and that, that was the, the – um, uh, this was back in 1972. Um, and this was when there was a lot of – I mean, Bill Muncy, the uh, unlimited driver who's, who, who got killed years ago, he raced Grand National, Rocky Aoki – the guy that owns Benihana Steakhouses, um, Red Adair, the very famous oil well firefighter. Oh, he, really? He ran Grand National. Yeah, we all ran together. There was a lot of very well-known guys we could, running back we could, we could use him today, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other story right there. <laughs> okay. Um, how often did they have the races down there? Um, well, the Grand National race was yearly, but the stadium was used a lot. So okay. the Unlimiteds were there. And uh, they ran some close course races there, so the the stadium got a lot of use. And then over time, I'm I'm not exactly sure what happened, why um, it kind of went by the wayside. But of course, the races at Lake Megory went by the wayside. They're no longer there, and the local races are no longer there. And then I I went on to produce the all the offshore races that have been here. I think I produced all but one of the offshore races that have been. In Pinellas County, I produced all the ones that were on St. Pete Beach, Beach Fest, back in the 80s. I was the race director, and um, the Worlds, um, and all the races down at the pier, I was the race director of those, too. For the offshore boats? For the offshore boats. The offshore okay. Worlds were at, at um, in Is downtown St. Pete in 2001. It was the largest field of offshore boats ever in the history of offshore. I think we had 235 or 200. And, 25 entries is that apba is that what that was apba yeah okay are they still around apba a lot of things have happened i couldn't even tell you exactly where the thing is now um as in racing and in indy car racing and other forms of racing some people broke off started their own organization people split off got getting a divorce one group went here one group went there um, i know there's an offshore race first year was last year on clearwater beach um, and that was John Carbonell from Key West, who runs a series of offshore races around the country, um, and Frank Chevis that owns um, Island Way Salt Girl. Rock, yeah, yeah, and Island Island Way Salt Rock and Island Way. He's he's the major sponsor of the race, and that's going to happen again this year, as I understand. Yes, yeah, in uh, I think November. Lee, do you know when that's going to happen? I think it's. Uh... 
somewhere around that time. But at any rate, and then WTAN, this radio station, was uh, one of the radio stations that did some of the broadcasting. Oh, you did? Yeah, we used to do we used to do um, live um, flag-to-flag at the races down at the pier and on St. Pete Beach. Okay, well, yeah. we'll tell you what. We'll sit there and we'll put a word in for you because maybe you can help out with some of the announcing and stuff like that. Absolutely. Actually, I was asked, I just had a conversation with the mayor, Bill Foster, um, last weekend at the Taste of Pinellas about being, I've had somebody approach me about, would I would I run the offshore races at the pier again? Oh, yeah. So, well, could we do that? Could we have two venues, have the one here on oh, Colorado Beach? Oh, absolutely. It's a different group. It's a different group. It's, yeah, it's a different, uh, uh, different race organization. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Hey, how are we doing on time there, Lee? We have about five minutes. The, um, Clearwater Superboat National Championships second annual are October 1st through 3rd. And, yeah, I was up there in, at the uh, Hilton. We were covering uh, the races. Cool. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. Lee, say hi to our listeners. This is Lee. He's our uh, producer. Hey so, there. Uh, and uh, try to keep me, uh, keep me intact here. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate. Um, I, and I try not to screw up too bad <laughs> myself. You know? Okay. Um, so what do you think? You, get, you catching up on us, all this boat stuff we're talking about? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Hey, yeah. do you remember uh, Mark LaPrade? Absolutely. Mark and I um, go way, way back. We went to school together. Did you really? Now, yeah. he's what? He's Thunder Marine still, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's still doing offshore boats. I know he sold cigarettes for a while, but he's got Baja or whatever he's got now. Offshore, offshore performance boats have kind of, they reached their pinnacle and they've, they've slid off the radar now. It's mm-hmm. very seldom you see in the Gulf of Mexico um, offshore style performance boats. Every once in a while, that market has kind of, um, it's kind of dried up. Has it? Yeah, there's a few around. I mean, the economy has affected it and fuel costs have affected it and a lot of things. So as far as boat, big boat, offshore boat guys, we still have, well, Rabies, Randy Raby's not around. He used to make Rabco boats, right? Right. And then uh, and he yeah, was a good Randy guy. Randy passed away a couple years ago. He was a good guy. And then uh, we He was got, a great man. We got, uh, and then Ray Hankey's about the only guy, the only player in town now, right? Yeah, I just saw Ray a couple days ago. I was out at his shop and, um, yep, he's still, I mean, I was out there. He had numerous um, high-performance offshore boat engines around he's he's still doing it. it's not like it was i mean that was his mainstay for years doing building motors for for offshore boats um well gary i guess we're i just uh got my hand single there it looks like we're running out of time but uh would you come back and uh, do another interview with us okay. sure i'd like to uh thank gary king for uh spending an hour with us here and you know putting up with us and listening to our music and and really giving us some great background on 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 his background as far as you know when he was drag racing back in the day and then his and the boat racing information which i'm sure a lot of guys uh find that informa- uh, that information um informative you know we are on the coast we are a a a, a boat boating area uh and uh so you know and be sure to stay in touch with this uh, radio station this radio show nostalgic radio and cars because we will keep you informed as to if there are any boat races locally and especially the the big uh offshore boat that's going to be uh, held on clearwater beach this fall and um i'd also like to say uh a big uh, hello to the guys out there at magnolia valley golf club since uh they like to uh help us out here every once in a while so if you guys are golfers give them a call up there at uh 727-461-956, uh, excuse me, 9596. That's 461-9596. That's Magnolia Valley Golf Club. Uh, give Pete a call. Tell him you heard his name mentioned on uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Um, Sean down there at, uh, at Street Productions, his number is uh, 547-9627. If you need some really custom car work done, that's the guy you want to call. And, hey, Lee, are you hungry? I'm always hungry. Actually. Okay, well, yeah. hey, my friend's down at Bro's Pizza, which is right downtown here, 441-6025. They got great pizza. Great. Buy it by the slice or buy it by the, uh, by the box load. And uh, then my friend's over at Just Tires, 585-9271. Give those guys a call. They'll keep you rolling. And uh, in the meantime, everybody keep it safe and uh, tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars next week, Wednesday, 7 to 8, on the AM Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Thanks for listening, guys. Keep it safe. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side, yeah. We chased our pleasures here. 
Your 